Welcome to Fireteam Chat, IGN's Destiny Show. Thank you so much for joining us today in the studio. Stev Ryu is joining me. How's it going? Sean Finnegan's joining me. Chomp, chomp. And we are very lucky to have a friend of the show, a guest. My name is Bife, live from, where are you from? England. London, UK. London, all the way UK. From Britain. Bife, for people who don't know who you are, why don't you tell them a little bit about what you do? So, I predominantly cover Destiny. People in the community have dubbed me the Lawmaster, apparently. So, needless to say, I go over a lot of the story content that Destiny has. Ha ha ha, memes incoming, yes. What story, <laughs> as they say, but also a lot of the lore. So, there's a ton of great backstory that Destiny always has. And for those of you that are looking for some great long-form YouTube content, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I think I do it pretty well. So, if you're very interested, yeah, I basically can be found on YouTube and Twitter. Not only do you do it well, you're absolutely fantastic at what you do, and I'm glad to have you as part of the Destiny community and on our show today. Um, dude, actually, it's wonderful to be here. Yeah, thanks, dude. Because you're here, we're going to do a lore segment about Warmind and kind of our impressions about the story. We've talked about it before, but we're going to give Bife an opportunity to also discuss it. And we're going to talk about Escalation Protocol, what's going on with Iron Banner and this emote everybody's talking about. And what was the other one? The exotic buffs to armor that are right around the corner. So let's hop right into topic one. We all played Warmind. Sean and I sort of had opposing views. And I think I clarified my point on the last episode saying, I think the story is an improvement over Osiris. It's still not perfect. It's It was still a little fragmented and there could have been a little bit more character building. But Bife, now that we have you, I would love to hear your take on Warmind and what happened in that story? What did you like about it? And what did you dislike about it? So I think the first thing that needs to be said is, yes, the story is most certainly not perfect. There's no way you can debate it any other way. Is it better than The Curse of Osiris? I think that it is in some respects and it is not in others. Having said that, I think that this now presents us with possibly the best idea of how Bungie can improve their campaigns because it's highlighted any of the previous flaws that other campaigns all the way back through Destiny 1 have had. And I think those three flaws come down to three really important points, right? Some of them being obvious, some not. So the three points I would say about the campaign is that yes, they don't have enough story missions. That's the most obvious one. Make more story content in the first place so that the campaign is not a two hour experience. Secondly, I'd say give the characters more room to develop and to breathe. Make sure that there's an actual narrative going on between them. Give them conflict, give them depth, give them development. And third, and this is the most important thing, if I could say one thing about the story and how they should change it to a Bungie employee, it would be this. Make it so that there is a clear three-act structure. Make it so that the story is not simply the opening campaign that we get, Make it so that the entire expansion and all of its content is considered the story. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, like uh, so, putting, putting little pieces yeah. in, that would be a great idea. Sorry, continue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's something that we saw back in The Taken King, right? This is kind of the first point at which anything like this was really developed. We had a story that technically starts on Phobos in the first campaign mission, right? But it ends when we kill the final raid boss in King's Fall. Right. And yeah. so that was what was so ingenious about that campaign. But it still wasn't completely perfect. You had a structure that still had its opening campaign at the very beginning. And it then sort of had the second part with Taken War and mm. it ends with the raid still. But all of this is what really should have been considered the story of the expansion. Right. So and in the reality of it, Destiny has always had these opening campaigns. I think that's a huge structural mistake. Mm -hmm. And if you could call everything the story and if you could tie it all together with a narrative thread, it might finally solve the big story woes that Destiny has always had. That's a good point. Let me pose a question to you and, of course, the people here in the studio. <clears throat> I've heard game developers talk about story before and say it's one of the most expensive assets that they can allocate time to because story, you experience it once and then you, you've done it. So do you think that Bungie is already attempting to do what Bife is describing by separating the story into this main campaign experience and then also having more within the adventurers at the moment. And unfortunately, because the strikes, besides the PlayStation one, um, they're all right out of the story. So we actually lose another avenue to address further storytelling. Do you guys think that they're trying to do that? Or what do you think? 
I don't think that Bungie is doing what I hope that they would do, which is a more focused and linear narrative style, the way that we would expect in like a movie or a single player game. And the reason I think that is because like at the core of Destiny, back before Destiny 1 even, mm -hmm. uh, the philosophy behind this game was a story that you could explore at your own pace and non-linearly. Like you could go anywhere and any in any order at your own pace and kind of unravel the story. That was kind of the philosophy behind it. And like there was a lot of feedback about how that did and didn't work or how, the, how, how that caused a lot of dissonance with the story. I mean, we all know about the story criticisms from destiny one yeah but i think like while they've done a lot to improve how that works going forward like certainly with taking king and you know with uh warmind relative to curse of osiris uh, i think they're hearing players feedback but i still don't think that we're ever going to get like destiny the god of war version you know mm. i don't think that is in the destiny dna I just want to say, Bife's an absolute pro. Right now, he is looking the direction that you are in the studio <laughs> to make it look like he's looking at you, like he's here. Amazing. Thank he's you so his, much for that additional blank, effort. Blank like he's wall. doing it right You had now. to call me out, Dusty. <laughs> <to. laughs> no, it's so cool. Like, you're so mindful about the production things. Uh, you know why it is as well? Because I've been on the show before, and I realized for the entire thing, I was looking deadpan straight to the camera all the time, and I was like, no, yeah. I'm going to learn this time. I'm going to look <laughs> left and right. Well, we definitely appreciate it. Uh, Steven, let me throw it to you next and ask you, uh, what, do, what do you think? Do you think they're – like, how do they balance that, right? It's a super expensive asset that they need to create, and you experience it basically once, and then, all right, well, that, that was fun. Move on to the next thing. Yeah, it's it, it seems like it's exactly like that. You can't even replay story missions anymore unless you do the uh, Ikora meditations or if you replay the strikes. Mm -hmm. Right now in Destiny 2, it just seems like you finish the campaign and then it's you don't ever have to worry about it again. Yeah. Like all the fun I'm having with Warmine is in the raid, um, Black the Bowl. escalation protocol. None of it is tied back to the campaign besides going back to Anna Bray. And it's like... We fought this huge worm god, and there's nothing else about him yeah. after. It it seems very fragmented. Yeah, and in, see, by yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. and and in my opinion, because the raid is just like you're going back to see Callus again, yeah. it's so detached from everything else Warmind is about. Yes. Now, I think design wise, they structured it that way on purpose so that they could have this experience that you keep going back to, but it's just weird. So mm. that's kind of what I want to harp on, particularly, and this is why I think it's very important that campaigns have like a very immersive and engaging narrative is because destiny call of duty games as a service games are definitely more about that long tail multiplayer end and the way you play that is with your friends yeah. talking talking about the experiences and talking about the gameplay and not necessarily the story so if that story doesn't exist somewhere else if there is no uh entry point for people to know the world that they're in to understand on some level the role that the character player plays in the story and the world then there's no real tie to what you're actually doing in the world even if it is fun and i think that's the most important thing is like i think there there's been great examples in destiny where they've done a good job of doing this and i wish they would continue to build but like you pointed out i think they're the reason they aren't is because even if they may want to and they recognize that everything I just said is right, even if that was the case, I'm not saying that is, but even if it was, developing a, developing a six-hour campaign that everyone plays once and then forgets about, like that's so cost-ineffective. You know, mm -hmm. I, can un I totally understand why Destiny Call wouldn't do it or why, it yeah, why Call of Duty doesn't want to do it. It's not worth their time. Yeah. Bife, what's your take on all this? How do they balance that that business need with with the this the story element? You talked about Taken King and how it was like a three pillar structure. Uh, what do you think? I think that honestly, there is definitely a balancing act. And let's not mince words here. You're completely correct with regards to the idea that it is the most expensive kind of content to create. And that's both in terms of the man hours that it takes, but also in terms of the actual cost of production, right? Mm -hmm. However, I do think that you can still make something like this and you can balance everything out. And it's not a case of saying we need more story missions and we need everything to be like this because, yeah, sure, some more is good. 
But to say that it is only that is, again, to forget the principle that all of the content we get in the expansion has a purpose, right? And there is story behind everything, but it is partly about how Bungie weaves that narrative together. And they can do that in a much more cheap way than I think they necessarily realize right now. For example, Escalation Protocol, incredible endgame activity that we have right now, in spite of the fact that not everybody is completely happy with it, considering the nine-player matchmaking discussion that's going yeah. on right now. However, it's not perfectly explained what's going on and why this is happening. And the reality of it in the lore is that Rasputin is basically aggravating the Hive and he's trying to get them out of here. And he's trying to finally purge his facilities of anything that's left, left over, rather, of Zol and Nocris's brood. And so you have this really cool context behind this endgame activity, but it's not properly explored. And you could absolutely do that. And it doesn't need to be this incredible, fleshed out cinematic experience. Like, we don't need to go gallivanting around the galaxy in order to find out what this is. It could be something as simple as a 30 second cutscene where Anna crouches next to one of the pillars and then watches it rise. And then, you know, it's a case of, okay, I see what these do. And then she explains the purpose of it to the Guardian. Or alternatively, have her talk through the dialogue. Have it be issued from her as a quest with the vendor screen where she literally says Rasputin's got a plan to get rid of the hive for good. There are these elements that you can absolutely use to tie that narrative thread through everything. And the fact that they don't do that as much is kind of criminal because, again, this could all be tied properly into what you could consider as a story. Right. As a total side note, by the way, I think that what was said earlier with regards to the structure of the raids and how they don't fit into the end story of each expansion, completely true. The raids should be Act 3. They should be the grand finale. And yeah. whilst the raid lair as a concept, really good, I love it, I don't think that it necessarily works to stay in one location all the time. Like, it's cool that we got a cap to the Red Legion story finally with the Spire of Stars. But I think it really should have been a raid where we killed Zol instead of just a final campaign mission that is actually also just a recycled strike. Yeah. That, I think, is so important. I think that would have been really, really cool. And actually, I want to ask everybody real quick, what was your favorite aspect of the lore that was introduced, even if it was underutilized or not really fully fleshed out? For me, I've made it pretty clear, it was Anna Bray, a very interesting character, trying to learn more about her past, about who she was before she became a guardian, and investigating the, the location of Mars and finding this whole institution. <clears throat> uh, what about you, Stephen? My favorite part was the Worm God. I mm -hmm. think it was pretty cool that we finally got a strike boss that acted like the Worm God, mm -hmm. but I also find myself thinking after we completed that Worm God mission, I wanted more. Yeah. So it, it was... Sorry, he's dead. You did. Yeah, it was both my favorite part and my <laughs> least favorite part. Uh, to go yeah. off your Anna Bray thing, to me, all through Destiny 1, I thought Anna Bray was like this lost guardian that we thought was dead. Mm -hmm. And then when Zavala and Anna Bray meet for the first time, he was like, yeah. You I, again. He was like, yeah, I know you've been alive the entire time. Yeah. And I think right? Bryce agrees with me. I, when I so first true. saw that exchange i was like wait so we knew she was alive mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. uh it kind of shows that like i don't know what it is because it, on some level i can't believe that bungie doesn't know their own lore but at least it shows like somewhat of a misunderstanding of how the players mm -hmm. have digested the lore because i had the same thing going off what stev said uh yeah. my favorite part of the campaign of war mine campaign is the war mind like i think mm, rasputin yeah. is the most interesting element mm -hmm. uh because of a bunch of reasons like the idea of a rogue war mind this like brilliant ai uh, a, a military device meant to protect that like yeah. all like the golden age of humanity it's our tie to that long thread of what's been going on in the destiny universe even going back to destiny one it's our link to that mm -hmm. but the other the other side of the coin is that it's not explored who he is, what he is, what he's doing, what his capabilities are, mm -hmm. why he was doing any of that in the first place. Well, he could make us a really cool spear, Sean. Yeah, so like to me, <laughs> Rasputin is the Javelin, coolest. Javelin, sorry. Yeah, he's yeah. like he's the coolest and the least cool part of that to me. Like mm -hmm. there's so much potential there and it kind of pains me to say that like I don't think it's very maximized. Yeah, that's what yeah. that that's yeah. what the worm god was for me. It was the coolest part to me, but it was also yeah. like the uncool yeah because like it, think about it like if he's a worm mm -hmm. god like 
we know we know like in the lore that uh Oryx is like he was hive before he ascended to be the taken king right and he kind of like transcended will verify if that's accurate <laughs> yeah like that's actually mm-hmm. a great thing like wouldn't it be cool to ex- have explored like what the relationship between a figure like Oryx, who I believe to be Hive in nature, if not or in origin, if not, that's not how we encountered him yeah. in the Taken King. Mm-hmm. Like, what is his relationship to someone like the Worm God? Like, yeah, because mm-hmm. they can't, quite clearly came from at least the same species and stuff. Yeah, these are all just like awesome questions I mean, that I think uh, could be explored. Yeah, go ahead. Mike. Yeah, I mean. To go ahead and give like a definitive answer to this, this is what is so cool about it, because the entire point there is explored back in The Taken King, admittedly in the Grimoire with the Book of Sorrows. But, you know, it talks about how basically the Hive, as in Oryx all the way down to your tiny little thralls, they are their own species, and then the Worm Gods are just these totally separate entities that are literally gods, right? And that's mm-hmm. awesome, because we get that relationship explained and expanded. But we could have had something so much more along those lines with both Zol and Nocris in this expansion, and we didn't. And that's kind of what's so frustrating, because Hive Law, ever since the Book of Sorrows, ever since the Taken King, has always been one of the favorites for the fans in Destiny. Like, yeah, maybe it's done a little bit too much, but whenever you see it, it's really deep, it's really fascinating, it cuts to the core of the questions of Destiny, like the fight of light and dark, it talks about ancient times which we didn't get to explore previously, it's, oh god, it's just wonderful to go back and explore that, but it's not done enough. Totally, totally agree. I totally got to agree with you as well, on the whole idea of the warm mind not being properly fleshed out and everything to do with the fact that his character could have been so much more Mm -hmm. right what were your favorite aspects okay so much as some people disagree with me i stand by the fact that the drop we got about the true nature of the exo stranger is one of the coolest things that i've ever seen in terms of law right you you should probably explain that to people who missed it (laughs) Okay, so yeah, this, actually, this go is... ahead and explain it to the people who don't know, because I totally know. But yeah, so um, <laughs> for those of you who did not play Destiny One, uh, there was a character who ended up being a bit of a meme called the Exo Stranger. You know, she had all sorts of mysterious lines, like "I don't even have time to explain why I don't have time to explain," and she's kind of this Great. mysterious character that appears once or twice and then leaves you constantly. And one of the biggest mysteries had always been who is the Exo Stranger. And we started to unravel that when we found a glyph on the side of Rasputin's actual Warmind bunker. If you go into his core, where it's got the big red glowing light, look to the side on the door and you'll see the glyph. It's there. And the wonderful guys and gals over at r slash, I believe it's r slash raid secrets or r slash destiny secrets, they actually decoded all of this. And when it was decoded, it was a message from Elsie Bray, who is Anna Bray's sister. Now, half-sister technically, because it turns out Anna Bray is an adopted daughter. She Mm -hmm. is not a Bray by blood, but at the same time, she is a Bray by name. So, cool details. Regardless, it turns out that Elsie Bray is the Exo Stranger, according to that piece of lore. And there are some people that would love to critique that as saying, like, ah, it's convenient, you know, you're throwing Elsie Bray and the Exo Stranger together because you just can. But I'm sitting here and realizing that in terms of what that allows Bungie to do with the potential future plot points, and what it allows them to do in terms of actually developing both Anna and Elsie as characters, and answering some really cool questions in this game, that's so cool. And I think as well that everything attached to that lore drop was awesome because you look at all of the different pieces of lore you get throughout the expansion on things like sparrows on the new exotic sword and all of it starts to make so much more sense and everything we've seen about the exo stranger previously makes sense for example there is a point where rasputin actually finds her and he Mm -hmm. says what are you doing here you know there is a literal communication from rasputin to her it's just, it's mind-blowing how awesome that ends up being with all of this extra context. So, by far, coolest piece of lore. And if you guys are wondering as well, the message also came with coordinates. And at the end of those coordinates, which led to something <laughs> cool. called Sleeping Beauty Mountain, they found an actual javelin. They found yeah. the Valkyrie. Like, like in, in real life. Real life. Yeah. yeah, outside yeah, of the one of, Yeah, outside. Like, of, I saw that on Reddit. It, yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of those cool things that's up there with like Outbreak Prime in terms of like this is an awesome secret we all just discovered. Like Black Spindle is hype, but this ended up being a real life thing. Mm-hmm. Like, that's amazing, right? I'm glad. That's I'm so glad cool. they learned 
from Mass Effect 3 and didn't send weather balloons into the air for people oh, to man. chase. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> a little bit oh, of a throwback no. there. Um, oh, Bife, that's awesome. Uh, thanks for diving more into the relationship between Anna Bray and The Stranger. You're actually doing a series that you told us about where people can learn more about Warmind and the lore. Where can people find that content? Uh, well, generally, you can find that on youtube.com slash my name is Bife. I mean, go ahead and just search that in the YouTube search, whatever. You'll find my channel, I guarantee you. <laughs> but more importantly, most of my videos within the past month have been on the Warmines, on the Bray family, on everything. So if you're looking to get a really comprehensive breakdown within the space of a few days or a few hours, depending on how much time you have, mm -hmm. just go ahead search my channel and look through the past like however many videos until it all stops being about Warmind. And yeah, there's tons of stuff that I've gone through and I hope that it's the uh, words. I hope that it's useful to all of you guys at home. Cool. Well, thanks so much. Uh, we're going to transition now into some of the, the news that's going on right now. And I think we definitely need to touch on what's going on with Iron Banner. Iron Banner has been updated. Uh, it's 6v6. They added a new map, Bannerfall. Uh, it's basically been Vigilance, Wing, and Graviton. <laughs> Not <laughs> <But> basically. <laughs> that's, that's what it has been. <laughs> but, but it's been pretty fun. I've actually enjoyed the 6v6. The rewards are really good. You have a reason to level up and turn in up to 35 packages. You can hit rank 35 <clears> and get a ship by the end of it. You can buy weapons with Glimmer and such. And I really, really like, like those aspects. Unfortunately, the community has been sort of latching on to this emote issue. So with Iron Banner... An emote was introduced, so let's just get that out of the way and talk about it right now. An emote was introduced. It's $10 or 1100 silver, and it is tied to Iron Banner, and a lot of people are actually really, really upset about that. It is directly purchasable, purchasable so you can go to test, you can buy it, and you get it. But people are upset because they have this unique item that's tied to Iron Banner. It's only available during Iron Banner. And theoretically, it's going to go away next week. And, and they don't like that. So let me get everybody's sort of take about how they feel about it. Question. Go ahead, Sean. Is it only purchasable? Yes. 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 You can't. Buy Bungie. Yeah, you can't you get it, earn it through any other means. Or anything like that. My thought is well, Sean, simple. You, you don't like it. I mean, I've been very, very, I think all of us have been very vocal about microtransactions, but speaking for myself, since the very beginning of even the thought that, hey, maybe Destiny should have microtransactions, I was not on board with that because I foresaw a situation like this where suddenly there's something very desirable for people uh, and the only way you can get it is by giving up your money. And I find that to be not just coercive, like, at, at, like when things are coercive, I don't like that. But when they're manipulative or they're locked behind a paywall, then I find that egregious. And I find this to be egregious. I don't like it. I don't support it. And not that I wanted the emote anyway, but I think that if you are one of those people who does and you, the only way to do it is by giving them $10, which is half the cost of the whole expansion. Like. Right. Put you, that in context. That's crazy to me. You get a two medallions. You get a fire team medallion and a, a medallion that rewards everybody that you play with with uh, engrams, basically that they can turn in at, at tests. Uh, potentially, that leans more into your manipulative thought. I do want to say two things that I think are a misstep with this: that you can't buy it with bright dust. I would have been much more okay with it if you could buy it with bright dust. But I actually have to say there is one positive here. This is the first item that can be directly purchasable from Tess Everest, and that is something we've been asking for. I think the price point is wrong. $10 is too expensive for it. But it is a step towards the Fortnite model of being able to see something and buy it. And that's actually a system that I can support a little bit more than the current slot machine system that they have implemented. Again, price point's wrong. Implementing this with a limited time event, a limited time emote that you can only get during that event. I understand why the community is upset, but I am glad to see that things that you see you can buy and you're not pulling a slot machine. Bife, what's your take? So I completely agree with the idea that having something being purchasable as opposed to something being done through a slot machine is better. But at the same time, let's not go ahead and mix words here. It is a very tone-deaf move 
to go ahead and throw something like this up on Eververse for that price when the community not only months ago literally poured into the forums on Bungie.net and spammed 20 plus pages worth of posts saying remove Eververse. Yeah. It is incredibly tone deaf to do that. But what's even more egregious about this, I think, is the context. If you look at the new raid, Spire of Stars, you have two new emotes that came with that, which you unlock through playing the raid. There's the awesome. here I'm open emote, right? Where you throw and you're like, hey, throw the ball to me. I can totally catch it. Which, if yeah. you don't know the raid, that's a mechanic. And then there's also the luxurious toast one, where it's literally you sitting with a cup of wine on Callus's chair. Those are awesome. And they're raid emotes. It. They're tied to it. Imagine if this instead had been a rank 50 Iron Banner reward. You would yes. literally need a thousand tokens to get that. And that yeah. would be something awesome at the end of the grind for you to do. Mm. However, the fact that it's come through Eververse instead of that is what's really thrown people into chaos here, I think. Like, had it just been some random dance? Yeah, sure, whatever. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a cool holographic emote, maybe it gets added to Eververse later, whatever. Mm -hmm. But the fact that it's an Iron Banner emote something that should come with the Iron Banner event when there are raid emotes that have come with the raid, that is what really grinds my gears on this one mm -hmm. because it's one of those things where it is another example of a piece of cool cosmetic loot which Bungie has said that we should be able to earn because they said this, you know, the scales were tipped too much towards Eververse. Yeah. And it's another thing where they've taken it out and put it in, in the store. Yeah. And that's so frustrating, especially when there is a perfect event that they were trying to overhaul so that they could get more people to play so they could incentivize us to go back and grind they are throwing this out here at just the wrong time yeah. i don't think there should ever be a contextual moat in destiny where it's tied to an activity at least in theme which you cannot earn through that activity now if it was if, available in both maybe that's more acceptable mm -hmm. for, for, me, for me i would be more accepting if exactly what you said happened if there was a level 50 reward and it's it's this emote and they charge ten dollars for it i still think ten dollars is too much i think oh, yeah. maybe Absolutely. five would have been a little bit more Two, acceptable one well yeah well it's exotic so yeah I it's don't know. okay what are you saying though it's exotic so it has a different color i'm trying, like that's the only thing that separates an exotic emote from other emotes i'm trying to think of the price point that other games would price something like this at and i think it's closer to five dollars okay i mean whatever it is like i think you got to keep it in perspective right well, ten dollars is yeah. half the cost of the whole expansion yeah mm -hmm. like yeah it's absurd to me and it's just cosmetic mm -hmm. like i don't uh, it bugs me so much that that, it. that is a really good point so five dollars ish with the other option of earning it through doing exactly. packages. Like, if you're going to make players pay for something, there needs to be a way to earn it, even if it takes a really long time. And you have mm -hmm. to find that delicate balance between the both, between them yeah. both. And if a player's like, oh, yeah, I got that because I bought it, like when we play Fortnite, Steven, you and I see like, oh, that dude has the full set. He, he bought the battle pass all the way up. Yeah. I don't care. I want to earn it. He paid for it. I don't really support systems like that, so I'm going to earn it or not get it because I'm not going to care in two days anyway. That I would have been okay with. It but, really does boil yeah. down to the ability that you can earn it. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. really what it comes down yep. to is because now, like back in the day, you used to be a little salty. Like remember when they had when Zer had Galahorn? Yeah. And the joke became like, oh, you have Galahorn? Did you earn that or did you Zer that? Or did you that? Zer <laughs> it? Yeah. And like yeah. that was fine. It's fine to be salty and to like, you know, shake your fist at the people who decided to buy it. But that's their prerogative, right? You can earn it if you want. But in this case, you can't, mm -hmm. and that is a bummer. Yeah. And then add on top of it that it's half the cost of the expansion. Yeah, that's and it just seems crazy. That's a really good point, Sean, and that that is kind of nuts. I don't, I haven't really let Steven say anything about the emote. We're gonna we're gonna wrap up that, and then I want to get your overall impressions on Iron Banner. Steven, what do you think about this emote? I mean, you guys took the words right out of my <laughs> mouth. Uh, to me, though, the price point doesn't really bother me that it's ten bucks. But what does bother me is, you guys already said it, that you can't earn it in the game. In any way. Yeah, you can't earn it. It would have been a perfect mm -hmm. opportunity to hit level 50 and get that. Or even yeah. it'd be like a random drop, mm. like the raid. Super rare. Yeah, and like for the right. people who don't have the time to play Iron Banner this week and still really want it and they want to shell out 10 bucks, that's fine. But you, you got to give both options. Yeah. I, I hope they correct it. 
I because I, I get why the community's mad and I'm tired of them doing that. Now, now See, that we sorry, just to end there, I hope they do too. My fear is that they won't, and instead, this is going to sell really well and it's going to encourage more of it. And next time, it won't be an emote; it'll be a Gallahorn. I no. They they have said that they will never do weapons, and thankfully they haven't yet. They still they have armor Words are in cheap, there. Man. But Words. I know what I know what you're saying. You're saying slippery slope, and we've what had that have, conversation before on the show. Thankfully, they haven't done that yet. What do yeah. you guys yeah. think about yeah. this point? Like to me, with all of Destiny, there seems to be a disconnect between teams, mm-hmm. and this possibly could have been like, hey, uh, during this week of Iron Banner, we're going to have this emote, and it's purchasable. But then before that, a different team goes, hey, we're going to have this emote drop in the raid. Mm. And they didn't connect. Mm. And you get this now. Yeah. Because it seems like a step backwards. Yeah. It does. You know, I mm-hmm. I mean, I can't pretend to know about how dev teams work. But mm-hmm. like at IGN, also a big organization, miscommunication happens all the time where two people are working on similar things. Because we have our editorial pool or video pool. And, we, Sales, and within the video marketing, pool, yeah, there's, like, there's all sorts brand, of stuff. Yeah. Because yeah. to me, it just seems a little mind-blowing that this was a conscious decision after the raid. And they were like, we got to put this emote in and you can only buy it. Yeah. yeah. To me, it yeah. might have seemed like there was a huge miscommunication and it launched this way, like staggered. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. They'll, they'll do something about it. Hopefully. They'll probably say something <laughs> about it soon, mm-hmm. I hope. Yeah. yeah. Uh, real quick, because I, I actually really want to talk about the armor updates, and I, I want to make sure everybody stays on their schedule for the day because we are in the middle of a work day. Uh, I like Iron Banner. It's fun right now. It is a little Vigilance Wing Graviton forfeit, but the exotic armor changes might mm-hmm. adjust that, and we'll talk about that coming up next. Sean, what's your take on the new Iron Banner? Uh, so I've been playing a ton of Iron Banner. Uh, overall, I really like it. Um, I think you and I might be on the same page here, or page here. We were talking about this a little bit last night and over the past couple of days we've been playing. I think maybe this is unpopular, but I think 6v6 is too much. Like it feels really? too chaotic. Like I feel like I'm always getting shot in the back from two different directions mm-hmm. while engaging someone up front. It actually makes your play, if you want to be successful, it makes you even more defensive than regular 4v4 team shotting Destiny 2 already was. Yeah. Uh, that said, love the armor, love pursuing the armor. I think that's fun. I love Bannerfall. So glad to see that map come back and like with its new sort of art design and stuff. The, the pursuits this time are perfect for yeah. the ornaments. I really like what they've done. Get super kills, yeah. get heavy kills, turn in 15 packages. Dude, and that's totally, harder one. that's exactly what I've been saying. It's like I go, I check in and I'm like, what's my progress on this ornament yeah. that I want to get? Or, oh man, that's sh- like that, uh, the head ornament or whatever it is. That looks really cool for Titans. Like I need to get that. So I'm looking at these goals and I'm being like, how much do I need to play? How many wins do I need to achieve that? And that's what I want is this feeling of progression. So I love all of that. Yeah. Uh, and then like maybe unpopularly, love that it's all Vigilance Wing and Graviton <laughs> Lance. Because guess what? Mm-hmm. Now it's balanced. Yeah. <laughs> like you're at a clear disadvantage if you're not using those guns. Yeah. That's how it should be. Like we should strive to want to get these guns that make us more effective. That's what competitive multiplayer is. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've always wanted from Destiny. Uh so you know, if you're like if you're one of those people who wants to jump into Iron Banner and expects to do well while they're using their uh I can't even think of a terrible weapon because I don't use it. But yeah, like I don't think that's how it should be. So I like mm-hmm. that that is the way it is right now. What do you got, Steven? Um I like six v six more than four v four. Yeah. But I do agree, it is a little chaotic, mm-hmm. especially now. Uh, the last time it was Iron Banner, it was only Vigilance Wing. And now it's mm-hmm. Graviton and Vigilance Wing, so there's more variety. But it harpens back to my main point with PvP right now in Destiny 2. Power plays way too much of a role in PvP. Yeah, If you get power, you, it's basically like you are in a super. And Som- you're still fighting sometimes, over it. Come sometimes on even that. better, yeah. And yeah. I think it plays way too much of a role in, PV- or, yeah, in PvP. Like, if you spawn with a Graviton or, like, a Hankin or something, and a guy is next to you, especially in 6v6 because it's so chaotic, and he's got an Acreus or a Colony, you cannot do anything. Play yeah. the game. You cannot yeah. outplay that person mm-hmm. nine out, 10 out of the 10 times. He will just slide into you and kill you. Yeah. And it just, that isn't fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. If uh, I might, it's, um, maybe this oversimplifies it a little bit. But we're almost back to the same problem that we had in Destiny 1, which is that primaries versus heavy weapons and special weapons were not powerful enough to adequately compete, right? 
And so mm-hmm. now we are in a sort of weird, similar situation to that, where there is a ton of power ammo running around the Crucible, and it feels good that it's powerful, but we need primaries, and in this case, I suppose, energy weapons, although that's soon going to change, I hope, in order that are powerful enough to compete with those in a fair way. Like, power ammo is still power ammo. It should still be powerful. But, you know... Have it so that you are not at 100% disadvantage whenever someone else is using that. You know, yeah, skill should be able to trump ammo. Yeah, it seems way too drastic. If you're having power, you're having the time of your life. Mm-hmm. If you don't have power and the other team is coordinated and they're controlling all the power spawns and you're a solo player, it's it's terrible. Yeah, there are some maps, man, where those you're getting hit from three different angles. The, the, one, <laughs> yeah. for, the one from uh, the Mercury map. Ultra, from- Ultra Flame? Not alter the alter. Other one. Oh, maybe it's alter. I know which one you mean. Yeah. It's it's I think the, the one Mercury. in the past Mercury, right? What what was it or by? Is it the one in the past Mercury? I can't remember the name. I of don't it, know. But... It's got all the pillars and they got the blue glowy stuff in it, and they're sort of like yeah. locks yeah. on the outside. Is that alter of flame? Mm. It's not alter so, yeah. flame. No, it's the one from <laughs> Curse. That's, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I really really don't like that map because there's just too mm-hmm. many lanes you can get hit from. Uh. I, I am having fun with Iron Banner, though. I'll say that. Um, mm-hmm. Real quick, we'll touch on Escalation Protocol. Apparently, that is a three-person event. That is from lead designer Jacob Benton, who is wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, he said, we're going to continue to monitor as more players progress up to max power and are able to attempt Escalation Protocol at the difficulty it was designed for and will determine what, if any, action is necessary. And, uh, yeah, he, he said that it's meant for three players. Yeah, so, I wholeheartedly disagree. Which is funny. I want to yeah. get into this because, yeah. like, we all yeah. we all thought it was hilarious that yeah. – uh, they could put an event that's so hard that it requires nine of us to get into together, like through these crazy, like spamming the spawns in there, yeah. like uh, so that at the same time, so we could all get in, or like talking to a blueberry and getting his spot in there yeah. so that we could log in our players mm-hmm, and stuff, right. just to be able to handle this event. We were like, how could they have possibly put this in there and yeah. then made this how we get through it? Mm-hmm. Well, here's your answer. Yeah. Because <laughs> they actually do think it's a three player event, which yeah. seems. Crazy, Stephen. Right? We did the hardest difficulty. Is that a three-person thing? No. And even <laughs> so, now I'm yeah. Now I'm 380 like four now. Yeah. I'm almost. At I was 382 when we were doing it or something. Yeah. And yeah. with nine players at around 380, it's still a very difficult challenge. Yeah. Like we can get it done mm-hmm. no problem now, but it's, it's the timer. It's still difficult. Yeah. And to me, and there is a team that did do it three man. I believe mm-hmm. it was. I think it was Giggs. I'm Giggs not sure. is doing everything these days. Yeah, he's but, shotgunning the fire. Right. He's, he's in the fire. top. But like, <laughs> he's in the Giggs top is not your point. model for the average coordinated yeah, exactly. player. Exactly. That is, he is yeah. not the average player. But uh, it's it's just like mind blowing to me that they think so you could do it. With here's a question for you: like, with an end game event, event like Escalation Protocol, like, should the average Destiny Guardian be able to jump in with three or even nine players and be able to get it done? What do you think, Bife? So I'm going to go ahead and say this. In terms of the difficulty it's currently at, it's fine. But the idea that it is good for three players and that it is possible <laughs> by three players, I think is, as you say, Destin, a, a little bit off. Just a wee bit. <laughs> I think I said wrong. So, right? And, and, and so, so here's the thing. Like, it's, it's wonderful to have this event in here. And I think that if you could do what so many people in the community have been asking for and find a way for players to match together in a more easy fashion... That would be the ideal solution, right? Mm -hmm. Don't feel like you need to decrease the difficulty. Don't feel like you need to make it applicable for people in three, uh, sorry, in a group of three, rather. But make it so that it is much easier to match into a loaded instance with Guardians who are at light level, who are looking to do this, and then give people the tools to connect with them, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's all sorts of things like... You know, maybe you want to go ahead and invite them to a Discord chat, or maybe you want to go ahead and add them to a PlayStation Live party. Anything along those lines, you know? It's it's an infrastructure problem more than it is a scaling one. And yeah. I, I still completely am with you, though, Destin. There's, like, to say that it, this is applicable really hard, yeah. to a fire team <laughs> really of three, hard. all at 385, I, mm-hmm. I think that if Bungie's decision here is driven by data, they will very quickly figure out from the data in about two weeks' time that no, three people cannot, even at 385, yeah. complete this. Because the final, rate, the final boss, 
Here's, here's what the data is going to say. No one's playing Escalation Protocol. <laughs> <laughs> can I can I chime in real quick? Yeah, go for it. To be to be complete, completely transparent, so we don't get flamed in the comments. We are not asking for Escalation Protocol to be easier. Yeah, we are just talking about the fact that they think it is possible for an average yeah, three man fire team yeah. to complete it at max level. If yeah, anything, I would not right. I wouldn't mind it to be even harder. I love Escalation Protocol. To me. It's a more fun endgame than the current raid layer we have. Yeah, like what I'm asking for is give us a way to match, right? Like mm -hmm. I've said, give us the tools to mm -hmm. match with players. And then guess what? Like if you want to do it with nine players, you get X reward. But if you do it with six, yeah. you get a better one. That, if that you do it with three, awesome. you get an even mm -hmm. better one. That I really like. like. That, that's a good that idea. way, the harder you want to make it on yourself, the more you're rewarded. <laughs> yeah. And what do you know? You have incentivized people... To your end game activity, exactly. Um, I I think it's actually, I would love that. I think it's perfect for a nine player group. Three players, come on, no, like, <laughs> mm -hmm. like they'll they'll hard. figure it out. But I'm I'm if you're watching, no, you're incorrect. I in my opinion, <laughs> in my opinion, there is no way that is a mm -hmm. three player event. Yeah. Uh, I I don't want to spend too much time on it. Uh, the May 29th exotic armor update is on the way, and we're getting changes to some exotic armor pieces. So the exotic armor pieces that are going to change are all of them. Well, eventually. All of them? Eventually. Let me rephrase this. So a bunch of exotic armor <laughs> changes are on the way, and some that Bungie mentioned include Sycanth... Syntheseps, <laughs> Line Rampant, Dragon Shadow, Mechaneer's Trick Sleeves... Luna Faction Boots and Sun Bracers. The Syntheseps, you get a flat bonus to melee and super damage when three or more enemies are near. And the buff is retained for a short period after you kill them all. Lion Rampant, you can hip fire while lift is active without interruption. I actually really like that. And you get no accuracy penalty. For the Hunters, you got Dragon Shadow, dodging reloads all weapons. Also includes a bonus to mobility via Wraith, Mail, Wraith Metal Mail. Mechaneer's Trick Sleeves on the Hunter side, Sinearm Swap. When critically wounded, greatly increases damage. Luna Faction Boots, no more entry-exit for weapon auto-reloads. That is going to increase our DPS mm -hmm. in the raids so much. I can't wait to try oh, that yeah. one out. And uh, weapons are also more effective at extended ranges with Empowering Rift. That's exciting. That's going to change PvP. That one's really, really cool. Oh, yeah, dude, it's it's huge. Yeah, and so then sun, sun bracers original effect replaced with increased duration of solar grenades and melee kills grant unlimited solar grenade energy for a brief time. The warlock got the best part <laughs> out of all the all the updates, in my opinion. These these oh, are really cool. God. This gets me excited for how it's going to change the sandbox. And the question I wrote that I'm going to pose to you guys: uh, Will the exotic buffs be dramatic enough across the board? What do you think, Bife? So, for Warlocks, absolutely. And as someone who plays Warlock, my god, I want those new Sunbraces. <laughs> I love the idea right. of a, quote, unlimited grenades, although we'll see how much that actually is, right? Yeah. But Hunters and Tons, maybe it's just because these exotics are much awesome. more sort of PvP-focused, mm -hmm. right? I, th yeah. I feel like that's why they're maybe not as impactful. There are some which are going to make a huge difference on some platforms. Lion Rampart comes to mind, because on PC... That's actually pretty huge. Being able to hip fire accurately in the air, yeah, yeah that that's going to make a difference in some really high tier PvP scenarios. It, Everything else, though, wait and see. Like, wait until the second round of changes later mm -hmm. on, and then I think you'll see really big ones for hunters and titans that will change the game in PvE much more. I think we're going to see some big plays with the Mechaneer's Trick Sleeves where uh, Sidearm Swap and Critically Wounded greatly increases damage. That's going to be really cool. Um, I want you to imagine that with Drang and Sturm, by the way. <laughs> oh. Drang is already pretty good in Crucible. Yeah, yeah, there's going to get some some good stacks there, but it does seem that they're sort of leaning into each character's archetypes where the Warlock is sort of, I'll say, magic-based, like a magic-based subclass, and there, there are support items, like we got the boots and the sunbraces. Well, sunbraces are a DPS buff for PV PvE, and uh, Luna Faction seems more like a PvE thing, but I could see implementations in PvP, and the other guys just PvP all the way. Like... There's small benefits to PVE for the, the Titan and Hunter. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. What do you guys think? Steven? You want to go first, Sean? John? Go for it. Steven? I am super excited for Dragon Shadow. Because okay. right now when I play Destiny PvP, I play Arc Strider and I play the bottom tree with the, the dodge, the traditional dodge where you roll on the ground and you get your melee uh, charge back. 
And I do that because the bottom tree synergizes really well with your melee. So now when I wear Dragon Shadow, I get the melee charge and I reload all my weapons. I'm pretty excited for that. However, the Lion Rampant thing, please just give that to everyone. Oh, really? <laughs> like, in-air accuracy should be a thing in Destiny, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. I've been saying that since Destiny 1. Especially with how aerial it is nowadays, with like people yeah. just running around flying at like please. altitude with yeah. anti-OD. Like. Please yeah. just give mm-hmm. everyone in-air accuracy. Yeah, that, that's yeah, I, I'm, yeah I'm totally in agreement with that, my dude. <laughs> Uh, the ones that are listed here, none of them really strike me as something that affects me directly as a Titan because I don't actually run Syntheseps because mm. I don't... Really? Yeah. What do you run? Uh, mostly Crest of Alpha Loopy because I find the yeah. the the healing pulse healing, to be yeah. super key. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't think that... Like, I don't know. I really... I, well, I've said it before. I said it on the last episode. I really want Twilight Garrison back. Like, I want mm-hmm. an in-air dodge. Like, I want something... Like an active an active ability that allows me to like change like potentially gain the upper hand in a one v one battle or something yeah, or escape yeah. a two v one that I'm gonna lose yeah. like a flat bonus to melee that's great it's like a passive bonus that you may or may not help in some situations but like generally if you're relying if you if you're relying on your melee to kill someone <laughs> or to get away from someone like chances are you're in a bad situation anyway, and it's not really going to help you that much. I use the MK44s, but I, I don't take PvP seriously anymore. I run Tractor Cannon, and I run at people, and I hit them with it. Tractor Cannon. And I swear to God, when people recognize me, they switch to Tractor Cannon and then counter Tractor Cannon me, and it just kind of becomes this fun, goofy event. Tractor but, Cannon's yeah. no joke, though. I it's, honestly it's think got range. I honestly think it's the best power <laughs> weapon right now. Yeah, What's, it's really fun. It's, yeah, it's suppressed. It's got really good range dude or like just the best power, power weapon power weapon yeah in general yeah i think it's better than accurate because you can shoot faster you get six uh you get six uh shots basically if you double tap they're yeah, yeah but it's better than like play of the game or i i think so you suppress supers so so, so if what's you get up, hit plus what's, colony what's you only get four shots well yeah. okay it's colony tractor cannon Acrius. play the game uh That's play the, the game yeah any of the Rocket fast firing shotguns cool. in my opinion what was that bife Rocket launchers generally still Rocket have a place launchers, in the meta. Yeah. Code but and cool. I think the fact yeah. that you get six shots and you can Dude, suppress super. So that's the thing is like I think I think rockets are gonna still be good just because it's unless you suck. Well, it's like a guaranteed the, kill. Sins of the past. <laughs> yeah. Well, I use curtain call. It's like the same thing, right? But swords like, are so yeah. good. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh. I was oh, playing cool. with Sean the other How day and he got killed by a sword. I was Maybe fighting three right. other people. Let's, let's let Bife chime in here. We're on a little yeah, bit yeah, of a yeah. delay. So go ahead, Bife. Like, um, for real, though, as well, not to jump in too much, but also, my God, fusions are absolutely still monsters in this meta. Main ingredient, it still completely mm-hmm. destroys, just like it did all the way back in D2 beta, just like it did at the very beginning. Like, fusions are still really strong in this play. Like, yeah, I don't totally want to talk bad. about fusions after losing the CJ. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what what are some of your favorites, or what are you interested in? It's got to be the boots, right? The Luna Faction boots. Yeah. So I'm a big raider <laughs> when it comes to things like this, and Luna Faction has always been relatively strong at various sections of Leviathan in times when you're just doing the big DPS race on Argos. Mm-hmm. Whenever you've got a massive boss to kill, such as Inspire of Stars, Luna Factions are now going to make a huge difference. I really like, however, Sunbraces just because the changes they made there are really smart. You have to choose Sunbraces over the um, the Raid Gloves, right? Mm-hmm. And Raid Gloves will give you the striking hand buff, so you get 20% bonus damage to everything, right? Yeah. So now you have a really compelling choice between this really good piece of legendary armor or, alternatively, this exotic, which could potentially let you throw a metric crap ton of suns. I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word on this no, podcast. you're fine. Yeah. Okay. Right. So yeah, no, it's uh, like I love that that's a thing. They gave us some really good choices. One which is just straight up, it's going to be really good, but it's legendary and exotic that completely changes the game. Like I'm yeah. absolutely looking forward to Luna Factions more though, because yeah, just generally applicable. It's going to be so fantastic. We're, act- we're actually way over on time for this episode. I just kind of wanted to have a natural pace this time. So I apologize to our producer, Andres, but I know I got to get him out of there because he's, he's like super booked up today. Um, Real quick, I want to know what exotic pieces of armor are you interested to see that we haven't heard about yet? Like, for me, I would love to see what they're going to do with War Rig, which was already a powerful one. I'm guessing it's not going to get that interesting of a, a, a buff. What about you, Sean? I would love to see, like, a return of Helm of Saint-14. 
Like mm-hmm. I saw someone wearing it the other day and I was like, oh yeah, that's an exotic that I used right. all throughout Destiny 1 because it was so good. But you know, if you're running Sentinel Titan in these days, you're not generally running Bubble Titan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would love, and that's what it, that its main bonus is like it blinds things entering your bubble, right? So that seems like an outdated bonus. I would love to see what they do with that. Yeah, like we don't even really use the bubble for anything. Yeah. Like I can't remember the last like time it, I've needed it. Like it used to yeah. be a key part of high-end raid groups. Like yeah. you needed it to generate orbs, you needed it to survive, and obviously weapons uh, yeah. and blessing of light, yeah. right? So now that none of that exists anymore, Helm of Stain 14 is like, what does it even do? Why do you even use it? Mm-hmm. I'd love to see that revamped. And then, of course, Twilight Garrison, give me back my air dodge. Yeah. Steph? Uh, anything that gives... Double shade step to hunters. Oh, <laughs> maybe graviton forfeit. Maybe I don't know. Maybe, maybe. All right, Bife. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm looking forward to changes that may come to Wings of Sacred Dawn. I think it's one of, like, say what you will about the little fairy wings and whatnot, but <laughs> undeniably, it's one of the most artistic exotics that you've got out there. It's and beautiful. It yeah. just, it's not that it does nothing, but it's a, it's a very niche perk, and it's very hard to make good use of outside of like really low-tier PvE situations. So I'd love to see them do something with that. Like, just generally, there is no good Sunsinger... Sorry, Sunsinger? What was this <laughs> yeah. Destiny one? There is Rip. no good, like, key Dawnblade exotic as well that really buffs up the super in a super substantial way, you know? There is no Heart of the Praxic Fire equivalent, although that's something I'd love to see get added back. So, yeah, yeah like give something on one of the warlock exotics that really buffs up dawnblade super i'd love to see one of the changes as that definitely all right guys well we're way over on time like i said before but i definitely want to thank sean and steven for joining us here in the studio and bife for joining us via skype all the way from london uk you said yes yes indeed yeah, and uh, people, you can check out Bife stuff over at youtube.com slash my name is Bife. Is that correct? Uh, slash C slash my name is Bife because, again, it's like custom URL versus like original channel name. But, yeah, <laughs> basically just search my name is Bife. You'll find me. Nice and easy. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, he has tons of great lore stuff, so definitely be sure to take a look at his content if you're into that, that uh, story aspect of Destiny. Anyway, that's all we have time for this episode. So until next time, everybody, Guardians, Guardians out. out.